0: Escape. From Plan A. A. O-X. 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 Escape. 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 From Plan A.
1: Okay, so um, I wanted... To start with some introductions. Um, Julie, uh, can we start with you? Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, Thank you so much for having us on today. My name is Julie Homora, um, and I'm a member of the National Secretariat of Malaya Movement, which is a broad movement of individuals, organizations, and various formations united under the Common Cause of Defending Human Rights, Democracy, and Sovereignty in the Philippines. And I'm based in Queens, New York.
1: Great. Uh, Malaya?
2: Yeah. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me as well. Uh, my name is Malaya Revelo, and I am also a part of the national secretariat for the Malaya movement. Um, and I'm based here in the San Francisco Bay area, California.
1: Oh, right on. I'm in Los Angeles, uh, mm-hmm. Yay. <laughs> Yay, California. Yeah, California. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and last but not least Rob.
3: Yeah. Hi. Um, my name is, uh, Rob Cheng. I am a member of a group called, uh, Katarungan, which is in Tagalog means justice, and it is the D.C.-based affiliate of uh, the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, or ICHIRP.
1: Thank you. Um, So, uh, we pulled this this podcast today because… there are some urgent developments happening in the Philippines, namely um, we're here today to mainly talk about uh, the anti-terror bill, which is signed into law in 10 days uh, in the Philippines. Um, So, I mean, so, I've been doing my reading on this and it seems, uh, it seems shamefully underreported quite honestly in the Western media. Um, and I, I would like people to get a better understanding of what this is. Um, some, some, you know, history, historical context behind this. Um, I just really, I, I think we need to understand what's going on here and its ramifications. So I'll turn the floor over to you guys. So t- tell us about this bill.
2: Yeah. The, the um, you know, this bill didn't sort of, uh, come out of thin air. Um, there have been works um, for uh, anti-terrorism you know, uh, uh, legislation. Um, you know, the world over ha- has been trying to do that since um, you know 9/11. Um, in the Philippines, um, the first act that came out was um, uh, made into law in 2007 under uh, Gloria Macapagal Arroyo, um, and it was called the Human Security Act of 2007. Um, and even at that time, it was, you know, sort of widely criticized for a lot of the same things that um, the anti-terrorist bill um, is being criticized for now, um, you know, with uh, its sort of broad and vague definitions of acts of terrorism. Um, and there were a lot of predictions of the negative impacts on rights, um, you know, very much so uh, in, in line with what folks are talking about now, Um You know, uh, even after uh, the Human Security Act was passed in 07, um, you know, there were reports from the uh, International Federation of of Human Rights and even the U.S. State Department released reports in 2008 that, uh, you know, there were real concerns um, that were happening and continuing to happen um, in the Philippines around human rights, um, you know, after uh, uh, investigations were done, um, after the uh, passage of that law. And then, uh, you know, Duterte comes into power in in 2016, and uh, there was the Prevention of Terrorism Act that had been um, pushed, um, you know, in the Senate, didn't really um, fly. Um, But then we see, um, you know, the Senate um, approving uh, SB 1093, um, you know, the Senate version of the Anti Terrorism Act of 2020 um, that was just approved this past uh, February 26th. Um, And then we see um, in June, um, you know, in the beginning of the month, um, Duterte sends a letter to, uh, you know, the the House of Representatives in Congress um, to certify that this bill um, needs to be urgently passed, right, for um, the uh, immediate enactment um, of this law. Um, And then uh, two days later, on the 3rd of June, um, you know, House Bill 6875 um, was approved uh, by the House. Um, overwhelmingly, right? I think it, it was something like 173 um, to 31 and with 29 abstentions, um, you know, that's changed. So, uh, you know, somewhat because, um, uh, you know, even some of the original um, authors of the bill had, had withdrawn their support after sort of this outpouring of criticism. I mean, outrage from, you know, the, the community, um, you know, there are other Congress people also that that withdrew their support as well. Um, and so that, that's kind of where we are on the 9th of June. It was transmitted um, to Malachan Young, um, and it's sitting, uh, waiting for um, either uh, pr- the president to veto the bill, to sign it into law, or it lapses um, into law on the uh, 9th of July, which makes it around uh, the July 8th or so. Um, but that's sort of a brief, brief background of kind of where we are right now
3: right and uh the the issue that we have like that we're talking about with the anti-terror bill today is um it's signing into law um policies that the government and the philippine national police and the armed forces of the philippines have been enacting on the people where they've been criminalizing any sort of like dissent and uh activist groups that have been critical of them Um, we've seen the national police and army uh, raiding the offices of union organizers on several occasions. I think last October, there was a raid where 60 activists with uh, Gabriela and Bayan Muna um, were arrested, wrongfully arrested, along with 10 of their children who were staying in the nursery. Um, and, like, uh, again, the same weekend, two other activists who organized with Urban Poor in Manila were also arrested that same weekend. And this is like a pattern that uh is being enacted by the afp and the pnp um that is being signed into law with this anti-terror bill um but we're we're not under any illusions that this is uh something that the the armed forces of the philippines have been doing um you know ever since li- like what malaya was talking about with all these uh military actions that they've been taking since arroyo's time um the enhanced defense cooperation agreement that the Philippines has with the U S which allows for, you know, great exchange of like arms and like military actions perpetrated by, um, armed forces who are trained and, um, armed by the United States that are active in the Philippines. Um, yeah, just like the, the anti-terror bill is like a new wave in criminalizing dissent and free speech rights for a lot of activists in the Philippines who are part of, legal above ground organizations, but the government is tagging them as terrorists because it gives them the pretext that they need to arrest them and kill them.
0: Yes. I think the anti-terrorism bill um, comes at a time where, um, where there are grave human rights violations under the Duterte regime. It really is the, the next nail in the coffin of democracy in the Philippines. Um, across the islands, um, there really has been enacted de facto martial law, and the anti-terrorism bill really solidifies this. Uh, you don't have to declare martial law in the Philippines when you have um, legal remedies, like the anti-terror bill, um, to repress resistance, genuine dissent of um, government policies, um And what is so dangerous about the anti-terrorism bill is its overly broad uh, definitions of what terrorism is. There's not truly a unified, even internationally, definition of um, what terrorism is. So with the anti-terror bill, speeches, for instance, social media posts, um, uh, um, work stoppages, things like that, that... Um, Interrupt critical infrastructure, uh, rallies could be considered um, acts of terrorism. And while supposedly uh, there is a clause that protects um, advocacy, protest, dissent, these stoppages of works, um, industrial or mass action or similar exercises of civil political rights, um, there is A separate point that says if, which is not intended to cause death or serious harm to a person, to endanger a person's life or create serious risk to public safety. So the really vague, broad definitions um, creates this climate of a fear of impunity. um, And prior to the anti-terrorism bill, this climate already exists. uh, Recently, Um, you know, today is um, Pride Day. Uh, There have been a slew of different. um, attacks on uh, groups on the ground that defend human rights. Um, so recently on June 26th, the Pride uh, protests that happened in Manila, um, the Filipino uh, LGBTQ organization Bahagari and their activists were celebrating the 51st anniversary of the historic uh, Stonewall riots and protests um, and condemning the anti-terrorism bill and um, Uh, all forms of gender oppression. But what what happened, uh, they were violently dispersed, harassed, illegally arrested, uh, very, um, very rough uh, from the state forces, even though they weren't violating any of the um, uh, community quarantine um, um, rules. So at least 20 members were arrested from Bahagari, women's organizations like Gabriela Women's Party, the Children's Rehabilitation Center. 13 of them were LGBTQ individuals. Um, a lot of human rights violations uh, were, sh- um, were seen in the process. They weren't told, um, read their Miranda rights. They weren't disclosed why they were getting arrested. Um, there's a majority of them are still being detained, except for the minors that were arrested during this um, uh, gruesome um, public display of um, police violence. Um, so that is kind of like the political climate. So this is before the anti-terror bill has even been enacted. So with the anti-terrorism bill passing, um, we're sure to see a lot more of these uh, crackdowns on activists because they've been happening uh, under the four years of Duterte.
2: Yeah, we're also really concerned about, um, you know, a growing um, and more powerful and repressive police state and like the persistence of uh, a culture of impunity um, you know, just recently, the um, United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights um, their office just released uh, a, a report on the state of human rights in the Philippines. And, you know, one of the things that they mentioned, um, obviously, was, um, you know, the concern around the thousands of deaths um, around the, the um, you know, the drug war um, that mainly targeted uh, the poor and disadvantaged, um, you know, communities. Um, you know, people who are living hand to mouth, um, you know, they also mentioned, um, you know, the, the, the uh, concerning number of extrajudicial killings, um, you know, that seem politically motivated and uh, this uh, culture of impunity that, um, you know, many of these cases have uh, not been brought to justice or even uh, brought to trial You know, that there's uh, evidence of a a systematic and widespread approach of repression um, on dissent in the Philippines. And so um, we're worried that uh, this anti terrorism bill is actually just going to be much more of a terror um, for, uh, you know, the state of civil, democratic, political, human rights in the the Philippines. Um, You know, they, they give um, the bill will give too much um, discretion to the executive branch where um, a lot of those powers um, were seen to be abused during, uh, you know, the days of martial law. Right. And so, um, you know, we, we um, are, are uh, you know, concerned over some of the provisions of allowing this. Um, uh, presidential appointed body that this new body called the anti-terrorism council that will consist of nine uh, presidential appointees many of whom are already a part of um, the national task force to end local communist armed uh uh conflict and um you know, they're known uh, red taggers, right? Um, They're already currently um, uh, maligning legitimate people's rights organizations um, and, uh, you know, prominent people's uh, leaders and advocates. Um, And uh, yeah, and we see that this formation of this body, uh, the Anti-Terrorism Council, um, will be allowed um, the sort of latitude to, um, designate suspects as terrorists um, to also uh, provide the authority for the police and military to um, conduct warrantless arrests um, where they will be able to detain suspects for up to 24 days without any formal charges or before they even, um, you know, have to face uh, judicial authorities, um, you know, and, and even some, you um, uh, you know, there's also a provision, um, that will allow for video conferencing of hearings, meaning, um, you know, they don't even have to appear in, in person for, you know, uh, hearings. Um, and who knows what that will allow, right? Like, um, you know, the sort of intimidation or torture that could happen, um, you know, when you're not even, um, in, in someone's presence. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's surveillance that's going to happen for up to 90 days without a person's um, knowledge. Um, you know, th- they'll be allowed access to all sorts of databases of your personal information and bank records, um, and they can freeze your assets, right? So, um, you know, the one thing, at least with the, the HSA, um, th- there were a lot of accountability um, uh provisions uh installed uh, that really um penalized uh officers or or uh you know state agents um security forces to um you know that would uh punish um and hold them to account for like falsified um statements or um you know withholding assets that had been frozen or um you know uh finding out that the the suspects that they had were um held in detention with unfounded basis um you know and so a lot of those provisions um, those safeguards have been removed in in this new uh you know bill and so while it's more austere and it's, it, it's, it's more, um, severe in its punishments and penalties, um, it's actually really lax on the state and, and holds them less accountable and holds us, um, you know, gives us less remedies, um, to hold them to account.
0: Yeah. To add more context too, um, the Human Securities Act even had, um, better safeguard provisions for how long you could be detained, uh, with warrantless arrests it still was uh, three days. So with the anti-terrorism bill, it's eight times um, the amount of what was um, legislated in the Human Securities Act, also what is guaranteed in the Philippine Constitution. And even if martial law were to be declared um, in the writ of habeas corpus suspended, um, it still uh, lists that um, warrantless arrests um, should be up to three days. And if no charges are formally brought against an individual, that they should be released.
2: Yeah, you know, and many of the the people's lawyers organizations have have also mentioned that like it's um, you know it, it 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 seems very unnecessary because a lot of these laws all, are already in place to prosecute acts of terror, and so um, you know what is the use of having some of these provisions you know um, and and this bill altogether um, because the, the the Philippine law has the capacity to to punish and prosecute um, acts of terror.
1: One thing I'm, I'm, I'm curious about here is, um, the timing of this bill. Um, and I mean, it's, it seems shocking for a country that still has, uh, the Marcos era well within living memory to, uh, to be leaning in this direction again. Um, I mean, that was a revolution that was, uh, that seemed to be like the end of the, the Marcos era was widely celebrated and it, it, it seemed like it ushered in a new uh, a new possibility for real people led growth in the Philippines, and this seems like a, a very big step uh, back towards that um, that uh, that period of terror of like you know state sanctioned terror and martial law on behalf of a select a select oligarchy here. Um, so it, it can can you fill me in on the context? Like, wh- why is this happening right now? Um, but my understanding was the Philippine economy was, uh, was, was, uh, uh, was growing. There were, there were a lot of positive indicators, um, going on and then to see, and then to see Duterte's rise to power and then him consolidating power w- through the, uh, through his war on drugs. And now with this, and anti- this quote unquote anti-terror pill, um, I mean, this, this must feel very shocking, um,
3: well uh if we're going back to the uh, the post Marcos uh, revolution and the People power Revolution that happened um, there's sort of just the like the systemic problem of neoliberalism in the Philippines where um, a lot of the promised improvements that were supposed to make people's lives better never materialized in meaningful ways you know you can talk about like until you're blue in the face, talk about how good the GDP is or how much better the economy is or how it gets better over time. But um, none of that money is making it into the hands of the mostly poor people of the Philippines. And this is several decades, this problem has been going on with increasing uh, dissent and people being dissatisfied with their government. And, you know, along comes someone like Duterte who tries to bill himself as a populist, as At one point, even billing himself as being far left, which ended up not being true, um, as being someone who would build up the Philippines so it can be independent of neocolonialism coming from the United States was one of the things that he promised during his original campaign. And now people are seeing that all of his promises amounted to a drug war that killed 30,000 people, um, increased policing and uh, military actions in the countryside, many people dying, going to jail. So. Essentially, like he's like his military actions and repressive actions are the biggest recruiter for his dissenters, right? People are being really dissatisfied with the way he's acting and taking to the streets, voicing their dissent. And in order to hold on to his own power, you're seeing more and more political repression, right? Increasing fascism. Because whenever you see um, liberals, conservatives, reactionaries, when you see them descend into fascism, it's because they're desperate. To hold on to power, I would also perhaps venture
2: that like the the drug war was sort of timed um, immediately after he got into power, perhaps to prime the people. For his propensity to violence, right? And so that it, it created, um, you know, an idea that there are some people that deserve to be killed or, um, deserve, uh, a, a, a measure of violence. And I think that he's normalized brutality, um, in a way that allows for certain things, right? When you dehumanize, um, you know, progressive, um, you know, uh, people's organizations or you dehumanize the left or, um, you, you, uh, um, you know, uh, you, you, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, you distort the idea of an actual civil war, um, you know, in the Philippines to terrorism, um, you know, and you create, um, these sort of like unhuman, um, characters, then, you, you, um, give people a platform to say, well, yeah, you know what, maybe some of these folks like, yeah, deserve, um, a little, uh, bit of, uh, brutality.
1: I see. So, um, so has rising inequality also been a, 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 a factor.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, in Rob, in Rob man- yeah, I think Rob mentioned that, right? Like people are extremely dissatisfied with what we call mm-hmm. the Philippine trapos, right? Like, uh, traditional politicians, right? Like they're, um, hungry. They, they are, uh, for, for decades have been asking for, um, better job opportunities, um, for, uh, better wages, um, you know, for land, um, you know, to, uh, you know, truly enjoy the sovereignty of the Philippines without, um, you know, the, the influence of foreign, um, nations and capital. Um, but, you know, the, the, the um, you know, Philippine government ha- has, uh, proven, uh, to fail on all of those accounts. And so people are, are, upset and so you know like rob was saying like when you you have like a populist leader that shows up and says you know um looks like he's not going to be like the the other uh traditional politicians um you know people put their uh you know vote behind him and and, and they're seeing now um you know that he's
3: actually not really for the people's interests at all right and and you can see i guess going back to like how this ties into us a lot of us here and a lot of your listeners are asian americans and those of us who grew up in like living here in the imperial core like these violent policies that are enacted by government forces are being aided and abetted by the united states right as an imperial power and treating the the philippines as a new colony i think about annually on average about 193 million dollars are spent um from united states taxpayers to fund the philippine military and national police um for um for for arms material and training um they also have a lot of um, training exchange programs where philippine national police members will come to the united states to train um either with federal forces or specifically i know that san francisco pd has an exchange program where philippine national police comes to san francisco to train under them um they also have like another exchange program now where the Philippine National Police and uh, armed forces go to train under the IDF in Israel to practice like their practices which is another thing that happens here in DC where I live because the Metropolitan Police Department here trains in Israel with the IDF to sort of export their terror tactics um to other countries. Um so yeah you have um like the massive military aid that gets spent in the Philippines by the United States every year and about, I'd say maybe like a couple weeks ago recently, um, the Philippine government just secured a $2 billion arms purchase from military contractors here in the States to purchase a fleet of attack helicopters and uh, missiles and munitions for those helicopters. Um, so you can see sort of the, like, there's not a direct, like, you don't have to see a direct boots on the ground foreign policy from the United States in the Philippines to see how. The imperialist violence of the United States is being meted out in the Philippines on the street with all these all these uh, all the armed forces and fil- and police who are killing indiscriminately and receiving money and training from the United States.
1: Right. It's multilateral it, w- with respect to the Philippines. So, as you said, doesn't necess- the military and the militarization of uh, the Philippines is a huge factor, but that that k- kind of is the security force to enable. Um, other forms of extraction and oppression as well. So there's the trade trade is a huge factor, um, a huge component of the U S Philippine relationship. Uh, In my research, it seems like the Philippines gets, it's not favorable to the Philippines for in its export agreements. And, uh, and one thing that I feel nobody really draws a a great connection to um, just how important fi- filipino labor is to the united states particular i mean some hyper visible industries like healthcare um education sectors like that but this is all this is all you could you could talk about this as a form of extraction as well
3: yeah absolutely i i think the
2: yeah, and all of those things, I mean, that labor export policy that, that creates, um, you know, this, this uh, flow of human resources, right? Like, that's what they're saying is, like, um, you know, one of the most valuable resources um, that the, the Philippines has is actual Filipinos. And so they're exporting them out of the country, um, you know, at, at a rate of around 6,600 or so a day. Um, and that's been happening mm-hmm. since, um, you know, since uh, the Marcos era, who really set up the system.
3: Right. It's like a okay. a standing like um outcome of increasing like uh neoliberal exploitation of the Filipino people, right? If we're going back to like what, what uh Malaya was saying about the Marcos era, um the constant like economic mismanagement of the Philippines that was uh like imposed upon them by entities like the World Bank and the IMF, um, like they do with many developing nations, so-called developing nations where they tell them, you know, devalue your currency, make everything like make your country a dumping ground for finished products from other countries that output finished products, um, find ways to make money. And they resorted to the labor export policy, like what Malaya was saying, where it's the people themselves and their labor power that is a chief export of the country now.
1: Right. And I can't help but feel like this, this feeds into this policy, this really sick cycle. So keep, keep the domestic economies, uh, unstable. This, pre- this precipitates, incentivizes workers to get, th- to go overseas, basically. Uh, and, and that their labor and their, uh, that the capital generated through that, that exportation of labor, uh, helps drive that cycle, um, over and over again. And this has been going on for a long, long time. I've been hearing these stories my entire life.
2: Yeah, and when you see, you know, social services um, failing, um, you know, uh, crumbling, um, being underfunded, um, you know, year after year, when um, you know you see the, the coronavirus impacts the Philippines um, for issues around, you know, a lack of PPEs, right? Um, right. You know, because healthcare in this in in the Philippines is is uh, grossly underfunded. Um, And so, you know, what what makes Filipinos, um, you know, uh, feel endeared to the country um, when everything around them is is falling apart? And then, you know, you have someone like Duterte that makes bold claims around being, you know, being the strong leader that's going to be tough on crime. And, you know, people will fall in line. Um, because they're upset, and then you know, coupled with the fact that for decades the progressive left in the in the Philippines, um, you know, has been uh, you know consistently um, you know targeted and harassed um, and maligned uh, you know by the state, and so um, it it makes it extremely difficult for um, you know to do the kind of on the ground organizing that needs to be
1: done in the Philippines. Right. Absolutely. And if I could add, um,
0: with the labor export policy and this. Concept of forced migration. It's disproportionately impact. Women are disproportionately impacted by um, the labor export policy in the Philippines. Over sixty percent of uh, the migration is women, um, and we are still in the middle of a pandemic. And so, with COVID, you know, I'm here based in uh, the Northeast in the New York area. Um, Filipinos make up a high percentage of um, health workers um, across the country, but especially in California and New York. And because they're really on the front lines in ICUs, at bedside, uh, they've also um, felt the impacts of um, higher percentages of deaths um, by combating um, the COVID crisis. And because, you know, it's, it's very common, you know, my mom's a nurse, a lot of our families historically, the patterns of migration, you know, early 1900s, farm workers, um, and then, you know, post 65 immigration, you really do see the influx of a lot more Filipino nurses, military, and that's kind of my family's diaspora, um, it's often you're in a hospital in New York and everybody knows like the Filipino nurses, um, are there, they're present, they're the go-tos, but then, you know, flashback to the Philippines dealing with, with the COVID crisis. We really don't have a healthcare industry in the Philippines that can handle a, um, a pandemic at this magnitude. Our ratios are terrible. You know, majority of hospitals in the Philippines are privatized over 65%, um, to give um, a ratio of how many beds there should be. Like there's 9.9 beds per 10,000 people in the population when it really should be um, 20 beds per 10,000 people. Um, Doctors are dying at a higher rate in the Philippines on the front lines. the World Health Organization recommends that there should be one doctor to 1000 people. Um, and in the Philippines, it's one doctor to 33,000 people in the population. And the same with nurses, it's one nurse to 50,000 people in the Philippines and the budget for health in the, under the Duterte administration was severely cut as well. And so we're really seeing that money and um, that really should go towards public services, genuinely bolstering uh, the Philippine economy is going to um, acts of state violence, state terror with the anti-terrorism bill, um, the different um Uh, crackdowns on indigenous um, communities, on trade unionists, on journalists, really the whole gamut of Philippine society is feeling the blow of the fascism under Duterte, but is not seeing um, any care or support for genuine jobs or healthcare.
2: Yeah, Rob mentioned earlier around the arms sale um, you know, between the U.S. and the Philippines, and it's like instead of prioritizing this billion, you know, historic billions of dollar arms sale, like why don't you prioritize the health of the people? Um, you know, that has seen you know thirty three thousand infections. Um, you know, in in, uh, in in the three months or so that it had been in the Philippines, and so you know, it, it makes you really question where the priorities are. Um, you know, are are the priorities, um, not public health? I mean, we, we've seen um, during the drug war how he treats public health issues, right, with brutality and militarism. And that's, you know, been the case, you know, with uh, uh the coronavirus, right? Like you see um, this militaristic approach and these checkpoints, right? And, um, you know, the, why aren't there more um, mass testing, right? Like if you can put people out there, um, you know, for uh, militarized checkpoints, like why aren't we doing more mass testing?
3: right and with and with those checkpoints you saw like instances where soldiers because you know they're not healthcare workers um either harassing healthcare workers on their way to and from work or in some cases there were um members uh, specifically gabriella members who were handing out food to recently out of work construction workers who were then arrested by national police members for handing out food saying that you know while well, they're violating quarantine Um, by handing out food to people who literally don't have food.
1: This sounds, this sounds depressingly like, uh, policies we see here in the United States. I mean, to contrast with the place, I mean, when you mentioned passing out food, I think of a story in Vietnam, uh, where they made, uh, where the army was deployed to pass out food. So literally rice was handed to people who were, who were hungry. And this was part of the response, um, very different very different perspective in the relationship of the people to their government right and that,
3: i think that's the other thing that stands out about the the way that vietnam responded to covid was that vietnam is not like a wealthy country like if we're talking about compared to other like wealthy nations on like the world stage right because a lot of people want to compare folks to like you know maybe like south korea or somewhere that has a lot of money but vietnam like as a developing economy was able to have like probably one of the fastest and like best responses to the COVID outbreak because a lot of their policies were people focused, like you said, with handing out free food. They set up those free rice dispensers in different villages for people that you could push with your foot. You know? Like Mm -hmm. all of these different policies. And like at the time, like the World Health Organization claimed that like at the start, that Vietnam was taking COVID too seriously and they're doing too much. And then Vietnam ended up having one of the lowest mortality rates of any country. Right. So the fact is that people's lives can be saved um but when your priorities are messed up like what's going on in the philippines um people are dying
1: mm-hmm. i mean intentionally so it seems like an intentional policy and poli- and new new legislation like the anti terror bill just reduces the power of the people to to yes, to resist absolutely. that so 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 on that note i really wanted to hear more about um Uh, about the NPA, um, about the NPA and the CPP. Uh, I want to hear about the resistance, the resistance to this, uh, to this bill that's organized by the people. Right. So, um, I know that the NPA has a long history. I think it has a record. I think it's considered the world's, uh, long oldest, uh, insurgency, like unified consist, like historical insurgency, from a from a leftist insurgency. So, yeah,
3: we can talk about them, like, very matter-of-factly. And uh, when we say uh, that the government is red-tagging um, activists, right, what we're talking about is when the government takes activists from different organizations, um, publicizes their names, addresses, and faces, and says, you know, these are communist terrorists, and then they publicize them so that they can, you know, arrest them later because, you know, Even though we're talking about the anti-terror bill, specifically criminalizing all forms of dissent, the, uh, the CPP and NPA are formally recognized by the government as a terrorist organization, right? Um, now when the government talks about, um, they always talk about violent acts being perpetrated by, um, like the NPA or CPP out in the countryside. But oftentimes when you look at the most recent, um, accusations that they come up with, um, These will later be refuted by local mayors and people living in the villages where the government claims a raid happened. And the mayors will say, well, actually nothing happened. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, But yeah, when we're talking about uh, them red tagging insurgents, we're not um, saying red tagging is bad because necessarily we're saying that communism itself is bad. What we're saying is that they're using it as an excuse to throw people in jail and make them disappear. Um, but when we're talking about like um, Duterte um, like and his cronies panicking about people fleeing to the countryside to become insurgents and guerrillas, um, again, we want to talk about how the number one recruiter for these agencies is Duterte himself, because he's brutalizing people in the cities, arresting, mass killing people, and a lot of people are seeing that there's no way out of this cycle other than to run to the countryside. And you've seen this as a a similar pattern to what happened when uh, uh, there was the declaration of martial law under Marcos that sort of coincided with um, increasing resistance, like larger numbers of people in the Philippines becoming communists and running to the countryside. Um, And then he panicked and declared martial law because of that. Thank you.
2: And the fact of the matter is, is that like the, 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 there is a real social basis for, um, you know, this ongoing civil war um, and, uh, it, you know, the, the the government of the Philippines has been engaged in a peace talk process um, with uh, the Communist Party of the Philippines, um, you know, uh, since 1986, I think, is when they started the process. And, um, you know, I- instead of continuing um, to vilify, um, you know, the organization, its people... Um, you know, and the people who, who uh, may hold similar beliefs, um, instead of um, you know uh, um, you know using them as um, you know boogeymen to scare the people. Um, why don't they address the roots of the armed conflict, right? Like, why don't they address the issues around landlessness for peasant farmers, um, you know, who are tilling land um, that they've been on for generations? Um, You know, why don't they address, um, you know, the issue of, um, you know, foreign control and 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 uh, influence in in the country, right? And and the fact that we have a a a, persistent, a system of corruption, um, in government. You know, if if those things are addressed, like you know, what need would there be for armed conflict? And so, I mean, I think in the same way um, that happens with legal organizations. You know, and I think the other thing too, I really want to say before that is that like, um, you know. No one has a monopoly on the belief um, of freedom. Like no one has a monopoly on the idea that poor people shouldn't have to um, suffer. Like no one has a monopoly on the idea that um, we want a free and sovereign uh, nation. Um, there, there is a difference though when someone decides to use, um, you know, arms um, as a primary form of their struggle. Um, and so I think what happens often is, like, people confuse the fact that, like, legal, uh, you know, people's organizations are unarmed. They are not considered combatants. And so, um, you know, what happens is, like, with the red tagging is, like, they say, oh, well, you know, uh, you know the, these, these uh, you know, fronts in, in the city, um, you know, if we have similar beliefs around freedom and justice and liberty, like, that doesn't, that doesn't make us combatants in a war, right like the 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 armed, um you know new people's army has been engaged in uh armed conflict um with the state for the last 50 years that that doesn't make us combatants in the war right like just because i also believe that you know um you know certain uh, ideas around uh, freedom and justice in the yeah but
3: that, that won't stop the police um, from planting guns on them like they do all the time because that's exactly like another mo of the of the of the national police is when they raid um the offices of different activist groups is they'll just show up with, you know, guns that are clearly planted there. Like they're not, they obviously did not come organically from the people in that office, but it's like a common occurrence in order to th- lock people away to shut them up. Yeah.
2: I, I, I mean, I think I just have like stuck on that same point too, though, that like, you know, it's frustrating, um, you know, dealing with the promise of being harassed or detained or possibly killed um, because you know like what like what about like wanting to see um a more free philippines is so worthy of your death you know so i mean i think it it um yeah it's it's kind of frustrating if the government just addressed the issues of unemployment of of uh the lack of social services you know uh, providing better education um you know for our youth um you know housing um what like what social unrest would there be? you know what I mean like
1: right, you wouldn't have to invest, you wouldn't quote have to spend so much money uh defending yourself yeah. if the people weren't out to it, yeah, it seems like a no brainer why wouldn't you do that uh <laughs> I guess this is the corrupting power of uh of this is just power being being corrupting um i mean I guess it's it's tough to uh i guess uh, it's it's hard to it, it's hard to uh, understand um what my position what what is possible uh sitting where i am as an american as an asian american i want to support i want to i want to understand um so i mean d- so there is strong opposition to this on the ground um there's strong very uh historically you know there's legacy uh resistance movements that have been in uh, operation in the philippines um and and you guys are here as part of um as part of that that organizing effort too out here in the diaspora um So how does that, how does that all work together in that case? Like, how do you, um, how it, how is it possible to be supportive and to be proactive for this movement, uh, to take a stand? Uh, and I mean, I'd like to know how, how are people, um, how are Filipinos, um, in the in the diaspora, responding to to this, uh, it's a it's a very big population. I don't think it gets enough uh, it gets enough mention. But um, uh, Philippi- the Filipino population is like twenty five percent of the Asian and Asian American uh, population in the United States alone. This is a really big uh, this is a really big population. Um, it's got to be one of the biggest outside of the outside of the Philippines as well. Uh, I want to get a sense for what that uh, that response looks like. Julie?
0: Hi. Yeah, I can take
1: that question.
0: Um, yeah, the Filipinos comprise of a really big chunk of um, the Asian American population. And with the anti-terrorism bill, um, there has been widespread condemnation. There are many incredible grassroots organizations and institutions that have really been uplifting uh, the human rights issues in the Philippines, like Malaya Movement, the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, um, Bayan, uh, Kabataan Alliance, um, Migrante USA. There are all these organizations who um, as soon as the anti-terrorism bill um, passed in the Senate and in the House have continued to do um, widespread education. We are in COVID time, so so many webinars and um, getting resource speakers from the Philippines to really clarify um, what is happening um, um, back home, how we can take action. Uh, We've been holding widespread uh, condemnation, um, protests, calls to action. Um, On Monday, we actually are uh, participating in a global day of action um, as Malaya Movement and really calling um, everybody to exert as much support against this bill as possible by holding in-person actions, uh, calling legislators to, you know, one, um, take a stand against the anti-terrorism bill, um, use their platform to educate their uh, population, their um, communities, um, and to also support uh, the Philippine Human Rights Act um, as Filipino Americans and as also Asian Americans and, um, uh, U.S. citizens, our tax dollars go um, in the millions, 193.5 million in 2019 alone went to the armed forces of the Philippines and the Philippine military police, um, despite the gross human rights violations in the Philippines. Uh, so uh um, Malaya movement is participating in a campaign to launch, the, um, to get the Philippine Human Rights Act passed, which calls to suspend U.S. Uh, security assistance to the Philippines until such a time human rights violations by Philippine security forces seize and the responsible state forces are held accountable. Uh, so this is a really concrete way that a lot of organizations, labor unions, um, even politicians have um, supported and endorsed as a tangible way that we can curtail um, the human rights violations in the Philippines. Um, and in addition, um, Malaya Movement, we just recently um, released a petition um, to calling Duterte to veto um, the anti-terror bill. Because, right, it, it, la- it lapses. These are kind of the options. They'll either sign it or it'll just lapse into law in um, 10 days. But he also has the option to veto the bill. So um, Malaya, do you know the um, URL off the top of your head? It's URL. Tinyurl it's
2: tinyurl.com slash... URL.com/ um vote the terror bill. a oh, veto the terror vote the terror bill. <laughs> Not that one. <laughs> yeah. no, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me get it again for the, for the recording. It's tinyurl.com slash veto the terror bill.
1: Thank you. Um yeah, I'll put that in the show notes as well for people to uh to check out. Um and don't don't worry, I don't think anyone is coming away with this thing like, okay, these guys told me to vote for the terror bill. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: uh, and, and and I think That's like not what we're yeah, about. Yeah, one thing I wanted um, to say too is no, about with organizations yeah. like Malaya and the International Coalition for Human Rights in the Philippines, um, this is not something that we limit to just Filipinos Filipino Americans, right? You know, this is and not just either to Asian Americans, but like anyone who wants to uphold this cause for genuine human rights reforms in the Philippines, like anyone can join, right? And we in- strongly encourage people from all sectors of life here. Um, and abroad, because there's like, yes, for populations outside the US to join as well. Because um, by being organized and being a member of an organization, it really helps us more easily get the word out and organize actions and like campaigns to support things like the Philippine Human Rights Act.
1: Absolutely no. This has to be a, a multilateral effort here. I we're just in that social moment here um, in the in the United States and and across the world with this pandemic, uh, with the collapsing economy. We're really, I, I'm really um, excited that a lot more people are in, are asking really deep questions and really challenging and interrogating how power operates, not just at home but across the. I mean, we live in a globalized. Society, so there really is no, there really is no um, firm distinction there. So, I mean, if we're in that moment where we're actually where where we're willing to listen to others, um, extend a hand, support, and actually fight, then I mean, I feel like we owe it to this cause. Um, we owe it to the principle of this global cause to lend our support for this. Um, was there anything? Um, uh, anything else uh you guys wanted to to cover I think we hit most of the um the bullet points I just want to make sure we didn't leave out anything that's important um if you guys wanted to talk more about the the national actions and uh stuff that's leading up to um the uh in in ten days when it does when the bill is signed into law um that that would be cool too yeah
2: i I think for at least for the malaya movement um we are um, of the mind that we need to um, still be engaged in the community um, and getting, um, you know, to amplify the public outcry against uh, the terror bill um, and to stay prepared um, for any, um, you know, occurrence. Like, we don't know, maybe, because, you know, there have been reports that, like, he's inclined to sign it. um, And so that maybe the veto is not going to happen. Um, but, you know, we we really do believe that like, um, you know, a collective struggle, um, you know, a, a people's uh, concerted effort, um, you know, wins the victories that that we've, you know, um, enjoyed. Um, and so we are uh, staying engaged in, in actions like there's a range of actions across um, the country um, in different cities where there is Malaya work um, and uh, there'll, there'll be continuing actions up until um, you know, uh, the end of July or so, um, when we convene, usually for um, you know uh, a response to the um, you know the president's State of the Nation address. Um, is there anything else you want to add, Julie, or um, if Rob, you want to hop on to about what iTRIP is doing?
0: Um, and I think one thing we didn't really talk about was. What we're seeing with the anti-terrorism bill, that it not only impacts Filipinos in the Philippines, but um, we're seeing the long reach or the long arm of fascism and that it extends to Filipino foreign nationals, um, but also um, U.S. citizens who may commit terrorist offenses within the Philippines. Um The Senate released a press statement after they uh, passed their version of the anti terror bill, which is essentially the exact same version which was passed in the House. And in their Senate press release, they stated uh, the measure includes a new section on foreign terrorist fighters to cover Filipino nationals who commit terrorist offenses abroad. The measure includes, um, the measure not only establishes Philippine jurisdiction over Filipino nationals who may join and fight with terrorist organizations outside the Philippines, but also also ensures that foreign terrorists do not use the country as a transit point, safe haven to plan and train new recruits for terrorist attacks in other countries. And while we are not lawyers, we don't really know like the exact implications of what this means because it really does transcend, um, different jurisdictions internationally. So uh, I think people and lawyers are still discussing of like how that would actually be implemented. Um, but aside from that, there are already clear, um, clear cases of the Philippine government extending to overseas Filipinos, their watch, their, their crackdown on activism. Um, one example is, you know, with um, different legislation or executive orders that have been passed in the Philippines under executive order 70, which is often referred to as creating this whole of nation approach, which uh, weaponizes civilian bureaucracy, you know, department of education, for example, is also, you um, mandated to participate in counterinsurgency and quelling um, local um, communist armed conflict. So with the national task force to end local communist armed uh, conflict, they actually have a Facebook page and um, Malaya movement has been red tagged a, a bunch of legal organizations. They have social media posts um, that are listing um, Malaya, for example, as a terrorist organization. So it's not hard to imagine that in this instance with the anti-terrorism bill, that um, Malaya movement could be a considered a terrorist organization. And who knows what the repercussions of that would be. Could we also um, as overseas um, human rights defenders then be considered um, terrorists and be um, extradited to the Philippines? I think these are questions that we're really trying to answer and a very real possibility of um, seeing that extended by the law. Um, and, 2018, um, there was a whole Philippine National Police uh, kind of tour. Uh, the Police Community Relations Group um, did a tour of different consulates, um, town halls and forums. One was in New York City, um, also in San Francisco. There was a press release that established essentially um, an outpost. Um, and this is part of um the Executive Order 70, which has like an international cluster, there's, you know, it's this, there's different clusters, but there's a particular focus on um, looking at international activities um, abroad. So we're seeing that the reach of Duterte's fascism is also targeting those movements who are um, providing genuine dissent and human rights and advocacy um, here in the US. Um, there was also a recent tour of Uh, Lumad, which are indigenous, the indigenous people, um, in Mindanao, um, who some consider them a, a quote unquote fake Lumad group because they have, um, Memorandum, you know, MOUs with, um, the armed forces of the Philippines and in the communities are really seen as, um, individuals who misrepresent Lumad communities, who sell off, um, indigenous peoples, um, lands, um, to corporations, um, to local governments. Um, they went on a tour across the United States also, um, talking, red tagging different organizations like the Malaya movement, um, also talking about how, um, The terrorists are really the New People's Army, the Communist Party of the Philippines, but it's not actually the state forces of the well-documented human rights violations who are committing these atrocities in the Philippines. So those are kind of some of the examples. And I would love, you know, someone can also share about Brandon Lee, because this Brandon Lee's case is a very special case. He's the first US citizen who's been a victim of an attempted assassination under the Duterte regime and, you know, was originally from San Francisco. So maybe Malaya, you could share on this example.
2: Yeah, I think that like, you know, when we look at Duterte and we see the similarities of um you know, him emulating Marcos um in his sort of uh martial law style dictatorship and, and rule, um, you know, we also can't forget um how Marcos um you know, the long hand of fascism that he also used um to uh kill Silme Domingo and Jean Viernes of uh, Seattle who were um you know labor organizers um and also fought against uh, martial law and so um, you know the the history of um, you know uh, Philippine fascist governments um, you know reaching over the the waters um, to affect us here in the US um, you know is long um, because even in the early 2000s um, you know uh, um, uh, Melissa Rojas um, was uh, captured um, and and detained illegally and tortured um, by you know state elements in the in the armed forces of the Philippines um, and you know like uh, Julie was mentioning um, you know just last year in August Brandon Lee. Who is a San Francisco native, um, you know, uh, an alum of San Francisco State, a Warriors fan. Um, and he moved to the Philippines, uh, around 10, 11 years ago, um, and, uh, really took up the struggle for indigenous people's rights in the cor- in the Cordillera region in the north of the Philippines, um, where he'd been living, um, as a journalist for Northern Dispatch and, um, as a, a um, advocate and, uh, um, I think he'd also done some paralegal work with, um, um, uh the Cordillera Human Rights Alliance and so Um, we see that, um, the, the same pattern that's happening, um, in different parts of the country where there's a threat, um, there's red tagging that's happening. People put out flyers with your face, calling you a communist terrorist, claiming that you're a member of the New People's Army. Um, and then we see an actual, um, attack, um, you know, on this person's life. Um, in Brandon's case last August, um, it was a frustrated killing. Um, you know, uh, there were, um, men who, uh, there were uh, killers who um, I think were masked um, and uh, tried to shoot him in front of his home um, where he was shot um, but he uh, survived um, from the the um, bullets um, he was brought home um, you know because uh, you know the people who love him like um, you know me and, and all the people here who uh, knew Brandon when he was still organizing at San Francisco State Um you know organized and um you know gathers support um to bring him back home um and so uh, even though he's still alive um you know he's still dealing with um you know uh, severe impacts on um you know his emotional well-being his mental well-being um his physical body um you know and uh you know dealing um with um the traumas that happen after that um so uh, it's not, um, beyond, uh, the government who has already shown histories of, um, you know, fascism and, and, and repressive attacks on, uh, you know, advocates and, 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 uh, critical dissent, um, to, uh, you know, try to, um, attack Filipino Americans here or those, uh, you know, because there's, uh, swelling support for, um, you know, the, the work that's happening in the Philippines by, you know, non-Filipinos. Um, and so, you know, we also don't see that being uh, um, impossible for our allies also to be, um, you know, targeted. Right.
3: And even the, uh, um, during the deliberations on the floor of the Philippine Senate to get the anti-terror bill passed, the proponents or some of the main proponents of the anti-terror bill um, were calling out and saying that Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization and a terrorist movement, right, as sort of justification for why they need the terror bill. So then, you know, it's kind of like a, like a question of like, where does this end? Like, what, what actions will people be doing, like both inside and outside of the Philippines that will get them tagged as a terrorist? You know, a lot of, uh, Filipino led orgs here in the States and other countries have been turning out to, uh, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and other organizations in the recent uprising. And like, are they going to be labeled terrorists too? I mean, there's a growing call like here in the States because the right wants to label Black Lives Matter a terrorist group here is the Philippines going to do the same, you know, and that seems like where they're trying to head.
1: I mean, that, that frames it really well. Um, and I, I, was there anything else um, that we should cover?
2: Um, I mean, I think like what we, what we've been saying in a lot of our um, webinars and statements and educationals is that like this, you know, anti-terrorism bill, you know, um, it has vast uh, and deep implications on civil democratic and human rights um, of filipino peoples um and uh you know i think after um four years of duterte you know coming on this um june 30th um in the philippines or june 29th here um you know after four years like I think we have to sort of ask ourselves who the real terror is, right? Like who, um, you know, uh, has amassed uh, 30,000 uh, lives lost and killed um, because of this drug war, right? Like who has intensified militarization, displacing hundreds of thousands of indigenous people, mostly affecting women and children, right? Um, you know, who has, um, you know, uh, weaponize the the civilian bureaucracy, like Julie was saying, where you're placing um, former um, military um, in, in in charge of uh, you know. Um, uh, uh the, the uh, government agencies right um you know this sort of martial law style mm-hmm. crackdown on democracy the, the shutting down of uh, the media giant ABS-CBN the attacks on Maria Ressa um you know the CEO of Rappler who in 2018 was you know considered one of um you know Time Magazine's people of the year right um you know th- And and what we haven't seen, we've seen, um, you know, Duterte sort of amass power and control slowly throughout the last four years. And, um, you know, this is... One of his, you know, crowning pieces of, of control is to institutionalize, to codify, to put into law the sort of repressive practices, um, and fascist behavior, um, we've already seen him, uh, do in the last four years. I mean, what we are still expecting is, um, you know, for, for Duterte to, um, you know, change, uh, the system of government, um, and to further, um, you know, the power of, uh, local, um, you know, political dynasties throughout the country. And so, um, I mean, I think that, like, um, when you talk about terror, um, you know, we should really take it from the view of, like, um, well, what have we seen as, as actual terror, right? In, in, in um, you know, in, in, in the country and, and how has that affected the Filipino people?
1: Right. Right. And to emphasize that this is a, this has to be seen as part of a global struggle. This is a moral emergency, a moral physical emergency for the Philippines and the Filipino people, both in the Philippines and uh, and abroad. Uh, But broadly speaking, like this touch on that
2: point, though, Jessica, like, you know, this is coming at the heels of, um, you know, the the uh, UN um, High Commissioner of Human Rights um, releasing the report. And also, um, you know, I think 31 UN experts, um, you know, calling for uh, member states of the UNHRC to, um, you know, uh, place sanction actions um, against the Philippines for its, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Grave human rights abuses. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think if this is about the international community still, um, pulling in together and, 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 you know, um, you know, watching out for each other's welfare.
1: Right. So this isn't, so, I mean, I, I feel like we have an obligation to support and do what we can, um, to support to support causes to support this cause and causes like this they are not isolated um and before uh, this all follows a trend that we see globally here so there is no instance where you just you would be able to just see something like this and be like oh okay um this isn't my struggle this, isn't, this is everyone's this is everyone's problem and we all owe it to do what we can i agree <laughs> so um uh, yeah. So any, uh, any, any, any closing thoughts? Um, and again, uh, I'll make sure that any relevant, like any relevant, uh, uh, pieces of education, any articles that you guys want to see highlighted, uh, social media handles, uh, events, uh, you want to see highlighted. I'll make sure all of that gets to the show notes as well. Um, so I'll open it up to you guys for, for some closing thoughts. Um, I think
0: off of Malaya's points, um, and what you mes- mentioned, Jessica, uh, solidarity in these times is our best defense. So really, it takes a global movement to support each other's movement, whether it's Black Lives Matter and the uh, the movement for Black self-determination in the United States and around the world, or um, the repression happening under the Duterte regime that it really warrants as many people to enact people power as possible. So, really want to highlight that um, you know Monday, J- June 29th is a global day of action, with marking the fourth anniversary of Duterte's um, coming into power. But the actions don't stop there. Really, the month ahead of July is an important month as well. As soon as the anti-terror bill lapses, um, if Duterte doesn't veto or sign the bill. Um, please expect widespread um, actions and calls to actions, mobilizations across the world and here in the United States um, on July um, 9th So the weekend, the week of July 5th through the 11th, we're going to have um, a national you know, week of action. Um, we will also have the People's State of the Nation address on July 27th, which is essentially like the State of the Union address. Duterte will talk about um, his victories, and um, the current state of the Philippine situation. But we always hold um, protest and um, um, opposition, because if you really follow um, the stories on the ground and what the communities are experiencing, um, there is a, uh, a different narrative about what is actually happening. So we do hope that all the listeners join us for this July months of action and to continue registering um, support against the anti-terrorism bill.
2: Yeah, I I think for me, I I also just want to echo um, a statement from um, the uh, current UN Special Rapporteur on Human Rights while countering terrorism. That's a mouthful, um, but that's the actual um, uh, designation and mandate. Um, you know, uh, she says uh, that security and human rights are not at odds with each other. In fact, they are bound together. And so I, I think, you know, for, um, you know, the Malaya movement, like, I, I don't want it to be said that somehow we don't, um, we're, we are disregarding the need for national Um, security. Um, Of course, we care about, um, you know, the safety of the Filipino people. um, But I think that it has to be done in a way that respects, um, you know, human rights, um, that respects people's freedoms that have been um, enshrined in, you know, uh, in our Constitution and our Bill of Rights and, you know, and in international agreements that the Philippines, um, if I have to remind them, you know, uh, are signatories to, right? Um, And so... Um, yeah, I, I don't think that, um, you know, combating terrorism um, has to mean the trampling of civil, political, democratic and human rights. Um, and so, um, you know, the one thing I, I want to leave with is that, um, you know, you know the Malaya movement really sort of um springs as well from the tradition of those who um you know put their lives at stake to fight for democracy and freedom in the Philippines during the 70s martial law and so um you know we recognize that um the freedoms that we enjoy now have been um you know hard won and fought over and over and over again and have been defended time and time again and that um you know in order for us to continue enjoying these freedoms um and and uh rights Um, we have to continue in the struggle. So, um, you know, please um, participate um, in uh, the actions that are coming up um, on the 29th and all of the actions that will be coming up um, uh, up until the end of the month. Um, So, uh, yeah, please check us out at maliamovement.com for all of our statements, for our, um, you know, information about um, the... Uh, different actions and uh, sign the petition um, to uh, demand that Duterte immediately veto um, the anti-terror bill at tinyurl.com slash veto the terror bill.
3: Yeah. And I would like to uh, remind everyone to please look into the PHRA, the Philippine Human Rights Act, which is being pushed by many organizations. And uh, also one of the things being pushed by the organization I belong to, which is uh, The international coalition for human rights in the philippines um it is very important that we push this because us especially the listenership who live in the imperial core of the united states um we've brought it up many times during the show is that part of the reason why um the philippine government has the means to enact uh this terror campaign against its own people is because of the money and weapons that are provided to it by the united states um and we need to hold them accountable and cut off this uh, this line that they have to enact this terror campaign. So, again, please look into, like, locally, there's a lot of places that have a chapter of iChirp that you can join or get plugged into to learn more about, as well as getting plugged into uh, local chapters of Malaya. Um, also, if you want to, like, learn more about current events in the Philippines from, like, an independent perspective, not being filtered by the government... Um, you can look up uh, the Ebon Foundation, www.ebon.org, I-B-O-N, um, for more up-to-date news that is telling the real story about what's happening in the Philippines, as well as other independent news sites like Bulatlat and uh, AlterMedia, which I think we can provide to you for the show
1: notes thank you guys so much for your time and sharing your, uh, your knowledge on this issue. Um, really hoping, really hoping for a good outcome on, on all of this. Uh, I really respect all the work you yeah, guys thanks, are putting Jessica. into this. Thank you. Jessica. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks. thanks.